1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us,
3: email now, michael at lmfm.ie. Hello, good morning, this is Ken Murray sitting in for Michael Reed with you until 11am, plenty of debate and discussion on the issues of the day. Well, we've got a busy programme this morning and uh, the opening part of our programme is dominated by the news yesterday that the emergency department at Navin Hospital is to be basically wound down. Now, I'll just give you the opening lines of the HSE press release because sometimes They tend to write things in sort of language that you have to sort of read it several times before you get the hang of it. But this is how it went. The HSE has announced plans for the final step in the transition of Our Lady's Hospital Navin to a Model 2 hospital, whatever that means, which will involve evolution of the hospital's emergency department to a 24-hour medical assessment unit with the support of a local injuries unit. Put in simplistic terms the emergency department at Navan Hospital is being closed down and this has caused a lot of anger in the Navan area indeed in County Meath overall. So to try and get to the nub of the issue earlier this morning I spoke to the clinical director of Our Ladies Hospital in Navan and consultant surgeon uh, consultant surgeon at the Mater Hospital in Dublin uh, Mr Jerry McIntyre of Meath GAA fame and I began by asking Jerry What's the justification for closing down the emergency department in Navan?
4: Now, Ken, straight away, we're not closing down the emergency department in Our Lady's Hospital, Navan. The doors of that department will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We are not closing it. We are changing it to a medical assessment unit, which means that the patients who come in will need a GP referral letter. But the biggest change and the most important change is that the critically ill patients, instead of coming into our ladies' hospital in Avon, where they don't have many of the essential critical care services to look after them, will instead go to the nearest Model 3 or Model 4 hospital to their home or their GP surgery. So the ED is not closing. It will be a medical assessment unit and it's been calculated that it will see 90% of the medical attendances that it currently sees. But it's the 10% uh, of critically ill patients who will be going elsewhere to a place that gives them a better opportunity of
3: survival. Okay, well, this medical assessment unit, I mean, how effective uh, will it be or how exactly will it work? Because as we understand it, if it's going to be a case of you can't get into it unless you have a GP referral, some people have to wait days for an appointment with their GP. So how exactly is that going to
4: work? Well, GP. the GP... The GPs in County Mead uh, are aware of this, and it's been common for some time, but they will need a GP referral letter. Uh, so that, that has been the policy for all the other medical assessment units in the country, and it is working very well. In the other eight smaller hospitals in the country that have reconfigured to a Model 2 hospital, the medical assessment unit has worked very, very well.
3: Well, now, the plan, as you pointed out there, is effectively one whereby if somebody finds themselves in an accident, whether they live in your own neck of the woods, Knobber, Kilmainham Wood, Kells, Athboy, Uh And if they feel they have to report to Navin, you're saying, well, actually go to Drogheda. Now, we have a situation whereby uh, Drogheda is already under pressure. Uh, just looking at the latest INMO figures, it seems that uh, seven people are currently without beds today. So aren't you putting an extra pressure load on Drogheda, which hasn't expanded accordingly to deal with these extra patients coming from Meath?
4: Okay, so the, the first part of your statement was if you were involved in an accident. Already, patients in County Meath, in the catchment area of Our Ladies Hospital, Navan, who have trauma, uh, strokes, heart attacks, obstetrical problems, or pediatric problems, already bypass Navan with the ambulance protocol and go to the nearest Model 3 or Model 4 hospital. That's already happened. So a trauma would not be coming into our ladies' hospital in Avon anyhow. Uh, and with regard to, to Drogheda, yes, that is a reasonable concern. But yesterday at the meeting, Mr Ian Carter, who is the head of the RCSI hospitals, and Ms Fiona Brady, who is the general manager in Drogheda, were present and they informed all of us there. Now, we knew, but they informed the politicians that they had got 40 beds. Uh, they had got 84 additional beds, 44 to uh, accommodate uh, Dundalk area and 40 to accommodate the Navin area. In addition, they got three extra operating theatres and they got an extended uh, ED department. What they wanted to be able to accommodate this Navin, uh, this Navin emergencies is another eight beds and two uh, intensive care beds. And they were assured that they would get better.
3: Well, now just looking at the HSE press release from yesterday our Lady's Hospital Navin recently opened a second new theater a day ward a minor procedure theater increasing capacity by a hundred percent it recently opened a state-of-the-art laboratory allowing for a fully accredited lab on site there's been investment over 2019 and 2020 in the new state-of-the-art digital radiology equipment to the x-ray department and there's a list of investment here people might say well how come you're spending all this money upgrading certain aspects of the hospital and on the other hand you're winding it down
4: but, but we're not like where is this term I've heard it used again and again winding it down we are making Navin Hospital safer it will be busier and it will be more efficient we are not winding down Navin Hospital
3: but people feel that uh, a facility that was once there will no longer be there
4: well, if you think about it, uh, the reason uh, that this, these changes came about in hospitals as small as Navan, and Navan were in the group of the nine smaller hospitals from the smaller hospital framework document that was produced in 2013. And that was produced in direct response to HICWA's concerns about the smaller hospitals and health and safety issues in the smaller hospitals that were expected to produce the full range of acute medical and surgical services. And they concluded the smaller hospitals cannot produce safely the full range of acute medical and surgical services. And they changed the hospital to what it can safely do. Uh, and that's what happened in the other eight hospitals. And uh, the other eight hospitals have been working. There was opposition locally uh, in all of those other hospitals. But look at them now. They are working extremely efficiently and are busier than they ever were. The likes of Roscommon, Lachlanstown, Ennis, Nina, all the smaller hospitals. They now can safely do what they uh, have the services to do. And yes, we have an increased, uh, an extra operating theatre in general surgery, but it's for low-complexity surgery in low-risk patients. And so it is safely doing much more cases than it had been doing, but it is safer, and it will be busier, and it will be more efficient.
3: Okay, will the ICU beds at Navin be affected by this decision?
4: Yes, yes.
3: The well, ICU tell us more.
4: Yes, I'll tell you more. Navan has the smallest ICU in the country with the lowest number of ventilated patients in the country, approximately 50 per year. And there is national and international data that shows clearly that small volumes of critically ill patients are associated with poorer outcomes. And the anaesthetists, who look after the intensive care in Navan? They are based in Drogheda. They, in letters to management, Ireland East and the Department of Health, have expressed concerns about the safety of intensive care in Our Lady's Hospital, Navin. And the anaesthetists who cover the intensive care in Our Lady's Hospital, Navan have issues. They are junior doctors. Navin is not accredited for training purposes in anaesthesia, in surgery, and in emergency medicine. And what does that mean? That means it's very difficult to attract quality junior doctors in those specialties of anaesthesia, surgery, and emergency medicine. So for for all those reasons, the anaesthetists who look after the intensive care in Rada uh, are in Navan, as said, the ICU should close. And this is part of reconfiguration. The ICU uh, is, there will be no ICU.
3: So is this all about cost-effective economics?
4: No. No, it is nothing to do with cost-effective economics. It's to do with patient safety. And low volumes, as I said to you, low volumes of critically ill patients are associated with poorer outcomes. So it is, Uh, There are very low volumes, as I said to you, the lowest number of ventilated patients in the country, uh, and the issues of cover of the intensive care. And it is at the recommendation, it is part of policy when the hospital changes to a Model 2 hospital, but it's also at the strong recommendation of the very anaesthetists who look after it.
3: Um, there would be people listening, we'll say, in Meath, in the greater Navin area, and they're probably scratching their heads this morning saying, well, if I get sick or if I'm in an accident, uh, they're dying to know in very simplistic terms, from here on in, what can the hospital treat and what can it not treat? Should I decide to go to Navin or should I make a beeline for Drogheda? Can you just explain in simplistic terms now what Navin will not be doing?
4: Okay. I, I, yes, I'll try. Uh, so accidents and trauma, they would not be coming into Navan anyhow. They already bypass Navan. Patients who get acutely ill, uh, seriously ill or critically ill, for example, heart attack or suspected heart attack, uh, seizure, uh, stroke, uh, those patients will either call the local ambulance service and the local ambulance service now will be a rapid response vehicle with uh, advanced paramedics who are specialists in uh, meeting the critically ill patient, assessing them quickly and commencing first-line treatment. And they will make the decision to bring that patient, uh, that critically ill patient, to the nearest Model 3 or Model 4 hospital rather than they bring in that patient into the emergency department of Navan Hospital, where if they don't have the critical care services, they have to institute first-line treatment and then transfer the patient out to the nearest Model 3 or 4 hospital. So this is all... It is nothing to do with cost efficiency. This is all to do with patient safety.
3: Um, let me put this question to you... Uh Sinn Féin, for example, are in a bit of a rage this morning. They're saying that if anything, what Navin actually needs is uh, investment. It needs money being spent on the hospital to expand its current facilities. Don't they have a point?
4: Uh, yes, uh, they, they have a point. But li- what you're, if you listen to, to what I was saying, if you have a low volume of critically ill patients, you are less likely to have good outcomes. And when you're talking about investment, you're talking about investment to change the hospital. It's the third smallest hospital in the country. And all the other smaller hospitals have all changed successfully to a Model 2 hospital around the country. Uh, they, the, So you'd have to increase major increase in the number of beds. You would have to invest in the the various specialties uh, that are not present in Our Lady's Hospital in Avon. And at the end of the day, uh, all hospitals in the country can't all provide the same comprehensive services. And there's clear evidence, for example, with cancer services and the cancer strategy, all hospitals cannot provide cancer services uh, and the cancer... Services have been concentrated on an, on ten major hospitals. Likewise, all hospitals cannot provide a comprehensive ED service, and the major hospitals, the ED service in the major hospitals, uh, is the way to go, where they have all the critical care services to provide the patient, when they arrive there, with the best opportunity of
3: survival. OK, let me put this question to you, Jerry. Uh, what do you say to the 10,000 people or so who were out marching on the streets of Navin last year uh, demanding no changes at Navin?
4: OK, well, I, I would say to them, if, if it were my family member who was critically ill, and I know... Uh, about the current situation in Naval And the staff, and I couldn't be more complimentary to the staff in Our ladies' Hospital in who in difficult circumstances work very, very hard to provide a safe service. But if it were my family member who was critically ill in the catchment area of Our ladies' Hospital in I would want them brought straight away to the nearest Model 3 or Model 4 hospital that had the essential critical services to treat my family member on arrival and give that family member the best opportunity of survival.
3: So effectively...
4: If I I wanted that for my family member, I'd like to think the politicians, if they were um, informed and knew, they would want it for their family member if they were critically ill. And if they'd want it for their family member, surely they'd want it for their constituents.
3: So effectively, are you saying it's better to go to what's called a centre of excellence than go to a hospital that just doesn't have all the expertise?
4: That is exactly, you've got it in one.
3: Finally, Gerry, we've been hearing sort of mixed messages in relation as to when this is all going to to kick in, to use a GAA term. Um, Are we looking at the end of June or is this something that's going to evolve over a period of time?
4: Uh, We're not looking at the end of June. Uh, We have to be satisfied that uh, the extra facilities that I mentioned earlier on uh, are available in Drogheda. We in Navan, in turn have to have the facilities to repatriate patients when they recover from their critical illness in the Model 3 or Model 4 hospital. We have to be in a position to take them back and repatriate them and we have a rehab unit which, I don't know whether you know, it was destroyed by fire in December but hopes to be back up and running uh, before the end of July and that would be a very important part of repatriating the ill patients from the Navan catchment area back to our ladies' hospital in Avon. Uh, and it's, it's a two-way process. We would like, we have to be in the position to help these hospitals that in turn have helped the people of the Navin catchment area.
3: There you go. That's uh, Jerry McEntee, their consultant surgeon at the Matter Hospital in Dublin and clinical director of Our Lady's Hospital in Navan, basically saying that what's happening here is just a a change in operational purposes. Uh, Emergency issues will be dealt with at Our Lady of Lord's Hospital in Drogheda because the expertise is there, albeit that there doesn't appear to have been an expansion of beds or indeed rooms but it's something we're going to if you like focus on in the coming minutes so we're going to take a break and we'll continue the discussion after this short commercial break Michael,
5: Michael Reed on, on
3: LMFM FM. Okay we're going to continue on with the Navin Hospital story and I'm joined on the line right now by Damien English who is Minister of State for Business Employment and Retail and Finnegale TD for Meath West which includes Navin Town and Darren O'Rourke who is Sinn Féin TD for Meath East Damien English I'm going to start with you a lot of people in the Navin area who went out in the streets and protested about any changes to Navin Hospital will feel that you have let them down. What do you say to them?
0: Well, first of all, to be very clear, Ken, there's been no change sanctioned. Uh, what you had yesterday and what we've been listening to for the last couple of months is the HSE, the hospital group, putting forward their proposals. The Minister and the government, myself, Helen McIntyre and many others that were at the meeting yesterday have not agreed with that yet, have not sanctioned that yet. And that plan does not kick in yet. So what I've been very clear about So again, I want to be very clear for a long number of years because I've been at a lot of those folks at a lot of those meetings and I've always said this is about working with the medical people, including our GP locally, to work out what's the best for the people of Navin and County Mead for a health service and a growing population. That's what's best for a politician, what's best for the health service. So, and part of that is analysing the proposal from yesterday, but it's not sanctioned.
3: So you're I'm saying this this is not a done deal to use the term?
0: I, I am absolutely saying that. And I spoke to the Minister again as late as half nine last night to go through this with him and he clarified to me yet again that he's told the HSE they are not to implement this plan. It is their proposal. We have a lot of issues with it, a lot of questions if they tease it out. There's a, a strong argument being made by Jerry McIntyre and many others. We'll tease through that and we have to work out, myself and Darren and everybody else, what's best for the people we represent. And that's our job, to make the best decision for them. Sure, are you saying... In conjunction with the health services locally and our GPs and everybody else involved.
3: Okay, are you saying the HSE has gone off here, to use a GEA term, they've gone off on a solo run?
0: I am saying that. And I've been saying that since last September and October, repeatedly, because they have not been sanctioned. I have no issue with the HSE bringing forward their proposals, their concerns, giving us their potential solutions. We have other solutions we want to tease out and tease through, and that includes the option to to, uh, uh, upgrade some of the services in Avon Hospital. That has to be analysed and teased through. Uh, We have to analyse the capacity in the system in general in the North East to deal with all our patients and those the A&E. So there's a lot of work here for the HSE and the hospital group to to answer to us as politicians and as a government, first of all. But I'll say it again, this is not sanctioned. This has not been clear by government.
5: OK,
3: well, Darren O'Rourke, Sinn Féin TD for me, the East, a lot of your constituents would uh, use Navin Hospital. Doesn't Damien have a fair point here?
2: He, he does have a fair point. The, the difficulty for Damien and for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael in County Mead and across the country is that they're in government and they have a responsibility to ensure that they have complete oversight and that the HSE answer to them uh, the HSE's position is very clear in relation to what is going to happen in Navan Hospital, and they spelled it out in black and white for us yesterday and in, in detail, although there are lots of questions to be answered. What's not clear is the government's position in what's going to happen at Navan Hospital. So the government, as far as I can see, are completely at sea, and particularly the, the Minister for Health with responsibility. We had like the absolutely chaotic scene yesterday where we had discussion. Um, w- 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 very many unanswered questions in terms of the HSE's proposals, and I, we can come back to that, uh, Ken, in terms of the, the gaps in terms of the capacity in uh, the, Our Lady of Lourdes uh, when that will come on stream, and the major gaps in terms of community and GP in County Meath. There's okay, simply not well, there, and this proposal will not work. Okay. From the government, from the minister himself, is completely at sea in terms of what's going to happen at Navan Hospital. And the, the real risk, the real risk here is that when you have government at sixes and sevens, government TDs in County Mead at sixes and sevens, if let's, let's remember, like, at least one government TD in the county um, has called on the HSE to come out and deliver this, to, to be, to, 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 to sell it, to sell it yeah. and get a community. Yeah, that,
3: that's a good point, Damien. What do you say to what Darren just said, there, that the government is all over the place on this?
0: Yeah, to to be absolutely as clear as I possibly can, the Minister of Health has repeatedly, last September, October, again a few weeks ago, and again yesterday, and again today, is telling the HSE to pause... The, they have a proposal which the, he accepts. They can, they can put forward the proposal and we as a government and opposition will analyse that in conjunction with all our local health community and work this out what's best. Okay, there but Damien, who's who in charge? Who's in charge? The Minister of Health is in charge and he has told them, no, you are not implementing this plan. I, that is black and white. That's not at sea. That's black and white they've been told, no. Well, where, they, is it David so, where is it in black and white? Hey. Ken, can I finish the point? The, they will. The medical. Sorry, Darren, just let Damien finish and
3: I'll let you back in.
0: Yeah, sorry, Darren, just to confirm, Jerry, I spoke to the Minister again late last night and I repeatedly had these conversations with him and it'll be clarified again for you in the door today if, if need be. The Minister has told him, no. He's written again to the HSE uh, the, and to say this is not to be implemented. Because as Darren has, said, has quite right, correctly said, there are a lot of unanswered questions here. I hear Jerry Mackenzie and I hear the concern that many of his. Uh, profession have put forward. They have put them forward for over 10 years now. And I have listened to them, and every time I have sat down with various ministers to analyse if they're correct and if the capacity is in the system. Each time we've come back and said, no, the capacity is not in the system. And you would only be transferring the risk. Okay, so, well, as, just... as far as I'm concerned, we are still uh, having the same conversation. Do you and can you invest in NAV and hospital to make it as safe as Jerry McAfee recommends it? Or or if not, what are the recommendations?
3: Okay, decide the
0: decided Darren, I'll
3: come back to you in a second, Darren. I just want to play a clip of audio, Damien. Have a listen to this. This is you talking on the Michael Reed show some time back. Just have a listen to this.
0: But I'm listening to people telling me the hospital is closing in June or A and E is closing in June. I want to be very clear. That's not happening. Uh, And Minister Donnelly has been very clear on that Um, for a long number of years now. uh, There is there is uh, a desire by some people. In the hospital group and, the, and, and HSE to make changes in Avon Hospital. Minister Donnelly was very clear last year, and I was very clear too last October, that that is not planned to happen. It is not happening.
3: So, Darren, isn't that a fair point? Damien's made his position clear on this some time back. He said it's not happening. And the impression, certainly, he's giving us this morning is that the Minister doesn't want these proposals to go through. But the HSE seems to be, if you like, running amok and doing its own thing without consulting with the department. And that the the real villain here is not so much the Department of Health and the Minister, it's the HSE.
2: No, no, that's not not the case at all. Ultimately, responsibility here is with the Minister, and with the government. And Damien said we have it in black and white from the minister that uh, he's pausing this. We don't have it in black and white. The only thing we have in black and white, that means written down, is the circular that we got from. The HSE yesterday, which said that the final stages of implementation will begin from the 30th of, of June. So if there is a, a different position, if there's a new position in relation to that, well, then we need to see it spelled out. The other thing we need to spell out is the government's position in relation to the future of Navin Hospital. Because there's different things being said by Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael TDs in County Mead.
3: But does not, but Damien, but ask, no, but, ask, but well, ask, very briefly, ask. because I want to put another question to you.
0: Okay, that's fine. Minister Donnelly last September issued a statement, uh, or October sorry, saying that this, this plan could not go ahead. He told the HSE again every week and uh, again, I spoke to him a few times this week, but I, I repeat, again I'll repeat, as late as last night, and he will write to the HSE again today to say this plan cannot proceed. Now, to be very clear here, what Minister Donnelly does want is for this proposal to be analysed, looked at, debated, exactly what we're doing here today, talk to all the medical people, and work out who is right or who's wrong here, and what is the best health service for people we represent? That's what I want, and we, I want to talk to all the medical people and all all the, all the um, GPs. And and Ken, I repeatedly said these conversations have to be had in public. Okay, okay but so the, but the question, Damien, is and cons.
3: isn't there something wrong in the management of the whole health service when the HSE is not uh, tacking with the Department of Health, that the HSE is doing its own thing, whether it's good or bad for the the, the voter? Uh, you uh, know.
0: I, I would agree with you, Ken. I have said, because this is a conversation that I've been involved in for a long number of years, I sat at many tables of Minnesota to make sure an Avon hospital was kept fully open and all the services are there. And just to be clear, the hospital will always be fully open, will always be open. What's proposed here is some, is, is some changes. I'm saying very clearly, and I've said it for a long time, if ever they want to change anything at our hospital, they have to sit down and convince all of us that it's a better health service. Not a worse health, health service, not a reduction, not something that we will regret. Yeah. They have not done that yet. They have not sat down with everybody. They have not communicated their proposals in a proper manner. Releasing it at, at, you know, at two weeks, now, as Darren said, is no satisfactory way to implement any change. So oh. I am very clearly saying this change has not been we'll implemented. If they want to make changes, they can tease this through fully with all of us, answer all of our questions and give us the guarantees that we're getting a better health out for people I represent, and nothing less of that. Isn't that a fair point, Darren? Helen as well.
3: Yeah, isn't that a fair point, Darren?
2: But well, isn't that isn't that what yesterday was supposed to be about? That's the point here. The HSE are, are ploughing ahead. There is no coherent plan. I, I, you know, I went in with an open mind yesterday. I'm biased in relation to this. I, I, I I'm convinced that we need to maintain the service at Navan Hospital. So is my party. But I went in with an open mind to listen to the HSE. And what was very clear to me, okay, that they are not prepared. They do not have a. Uh, they don't have sufficient capacity or plans for sufficient capacity. As okay. a Lady of. Uh, Our Lady of of Lourdes, and they don't have anywhere near a plan to support and right. in community services general practice so this MAU will not work what will okay, happen
3: okay. Uh, I'm going uh, to have to leave it there guys because the clock has gotten the, the better of us but this is something we will return to and I do believe that Sinn Féin is holding a protest outside the Dáil on Thursday at 1pm uh, lads we leave it there it's something we will return to that's uh, Damien English there Minister of State for Business Employment and Retail and Fine Gael TD for me the West and Darren O'Rourke Sinn Féin TD for me the East more to come we'll take a break
5: Michael Reed, Reed on
3: LMFM. We'll be discussing the Navin hospital situation further a little bit later on separately with Minister Thomas Byrne and Labour TD Jed Nash. Now as you heard in the programme yesterday uh, Drogheda is the second worst town in Ireland when it comes to litter. In fact if one was to exclude the fact that out of 40 towns surveyed by the Irish business against litter organisation the fact that the area that finished at the bottom of the list was a suburb of Galway City, it could be argued that Drogheda finished bottom and effectively is the dirtiest town in the country. Uh, One man who's been making some noise about this is Independent Councillor Kevin Callan. First of all, Kevin, um, how does one explain that the litter situation in Drogheda is so bad?
6: Well, good morning, Ken, and I suppose thank you for having me on the show the results of the ibal uh, survey are incredibly disappointing to an awful lot of people, including myself um, as a councillor and also as the chair of Drogheda Tidy Towns. For the last 12 months, there's been a massive effort made by and an awful lot of volunteers, council, chamber of commerce, the bids group, and um, it is very disappointing. However, in one way, I'm not surprised because we have a serious problem with illegal dumping in Drogheda, and it just doesn't seem to be in any way abating. Um, we're fighting against a tide that's coming in that we just simply don't seem to be able to keep up with.
3: Okay, what's the problem? Is the problem that the council uh, is asleep on the job or that the business outlets are doing absolutely nothing uh, to clean up any mess that follows on from whether they're selling fast food, whether they're selling yep. uh, groceries and stuff is being discarded on the streets, or what exactly is the, the, the nub of the issue here?
6: Ken, if I'm being honest, it's Quite straightforward. In terms of tidy towns, the IBAL report is only litter and rubbish. Tidy towns uh, for 15 years have received gold medals. That's just because it's not about litter, it's about other things like schools and interaction and the community and so on and biodiversity. But IBAL 12 months ago, when we got a bad rating, we sat down and we looked at it and we tackled the issues in it. Our approach roads were in a dreadful state. Roundabouts were in a bad state. The bank centres were in a bad state. We've improved on all of that. But it's clear from this report and also from myself and others being out every week, we see what's actually on the ground. And it's not a case that people are dumping because the bins are full. I was in Dominic's Park last, last Sunday morning for a clean The bins are all empty, but we collected eight bags of rubbish in the park alone. And what you've mentioned there about the takeaway products, there are three things that are causing a problem in Drahada that we can't keep up with and that we now have to get tough on. And they are takeaway products which are all over the town which is absolutely disgusting and um, drinks containers again all over the town disgusting and the third thing are people who have derelict pro- uh, properties who are allowing illegal dumping to take place and to me a year on after doing this every week and twice a week and linking in with the council and linking in with volunteers we now need the people who are effectively flagrantly dumping to be chased and pursued legal okay. by the council
3: Well 50 fines were issued for littering in Drogheda uh, so far this year is 50 fines uh, and the range is from €150 euro to €5,000 is that enough?
6: The financial range is fine the number of fines is not fine um, from my point of view what I raised at the council meeting last night there are two pieces of legislation we have the Litter Pollution Act which requires businesses to keep 100 metres around the premises clean The council can direct them to clear waste and also to put in bin receptacles for the likes of coffee cups, which we had an awful lot of, which we've been picking up for the last year. Um, Cigarette butts, again, disgusting, but people just choose to throw them everywhere. Um, That piece of legislation, we need to push that more. The other one is the Derelict Structures Act, which is where people who just allow a property, like down on the Marsh Road, which we've been heavily criticised for, they're vast sites, but they're private property. And we need the council to now pursue them, give them 14 days to clear it. If they don't clear it, we need to go in and clear it and then bring them before the court and chase them for the cost of that. The problem, Ken, is you've so many people with goodwill who are out trying to help fix this and the council and the chamber and a number of businesses, but there are certain businesses. You'll you'll see it. Drive across Drogheda at 7 o'clock in the morning. You'll see it. Seagulls, overflowing bins. You'll find the, the brown paper bags, branded products. We've done a clean-up out at the, the estuary at Baltray about a month ago. We collected 80 bags of waste, the majority of which was takeaway products branded from Drogheda. And That's heading out into the sea. So I'm, I'm extremely angry about this.
3: Should the town have I, more litter wardens?
6: I think litter wardens, for the next period of time, I think there has to be a total clampdown on this. The chief executive said last night at the meeting that the management team are going to discuss it today. But I've asked planning and the chief executive to zone in on the derelict sites and also okay. on the wardens.
3: Let me put in another question, Kevin, because we're up against the clock. But, I mean, Navin seems to have its act together, as does Dundalk. So what are they doing better that Drogheda isn't doing?
6: Well, that's something, Ken, we are looking at as well. We are aware that other towns put together strategic plans and we've actually done that. We only launched it about two months ago. So we've already done that. We've spoken to other communities. We've said, what do you do? It's more sustained. It's more adopt an area. It's more reporting and it is more litter warden action. But we've already started that. It's unfortunate this result has come out now. But again, we will zone in on everything IBAL have told us and we'll focus on it. But we do need to start cracking down on people who are right. be breaking the law.
3: OK, we're going to have to leave it there. Kevin, we wish you the best in that. It's a tough job because as population numbers grow around the Drogheda area, in theory, littering grows accordingly. So uh, it's something we'll be keeping an eye out for uh, in the months Ahead, Okay, more to come. We'll take a break. Michael,
5: Michael Reid on, on LMFM.
3: Okay, Thomas Byrne, Minister for European Affairs and Fianna Fáil TD for me, the East, is joining us primarily to talk about the Northern Ireland Protocol. But uh, Thomas, I want to begin by uh, putting it to you that uh, from the discussion we had earlier on with Damien English and Darren O'Rourke, it would appear that the Department of Health and the HSE are not working in tandem on the Navan Hospital situation. Isn't that a bit of a mess?
7: No, it's not a mess at all. I mean, look, um, I want to be very clear with your listeners um, and everybody here. This proposal will not happen until there is capacity in Drogheda and Blanchardstown. And the one issue that I have serious concerns about is whether Drogheda can cope with this. In fact, we were told yesterday that capacity is not there yet. And that is a significant point of concern for me. I mean, quite frankly, I don't disagree with anything Jerry McIntyre said uh, at the start of the interview, and I'm not sure how any politician could come in uh, and disagree with someone as eminent as him. And in fact, the director of nursing in Navan said the same to me uh, yesterday. But um, as a local politician, I have not been given the assurances that uh, our Lady of Lords or Connolly and Blanchardstown have the capacity uh, to take on this 10% of Navan's patients, and that's all it is, by the way, of the most serious patients uh, it would have to go elsewhere. So this proposal, and the government has agreed on this, will not happen until that capacity is there.
3: Okay. well, that means that what happened yesterday, the announcement yesterday was a bit of a PR fiasco, making an announcement while Drogheda hasn't expanded to take in this extra 10%. make. I
7: didn't make make an announcement, and the government didn't make an announcement, and the government is in charge of this situation. Um, But as I said, uh, nobody really could agree, could disagree with what Gerry McAtee is saying, The difficulty, I think, that we all have is to ensure that the capacity is there in the other hospitals. And that was the the main point that I came out of the meeting not satisfied with. And I can confirm to your listeners that the government is not satisfied with that either. Um, But but, but let's also be clear is that over the last few months in particular, we've had a huge amount of opposition scaremongering, which has been, quite frankly, disgraceful. What we heard very, very clearly is that 90% of people who currently go... To Navan A&E, will still be going uh, to Navan Hospital. Navin, we've been, to, we were told. I heard some politicians talking about cuts to Navan Hospital. There's been a massive increase in investment in Navan Hospital by 40%. There's been a 24% increase in staff in Navan Hospital over the last number of years. Okay, and no, last, I accept what you, you say, Thomas. But the no, point, sorry, I, I, I'm glad you accept it. But lots of politicians are going around saying it's been cut, it's been went down. All of this, Navan Hospital has never seen as many people as it does at the moment and that's going to increase. Right, but if
3: but if yesterday, for example, if uh, the HSE said, oh, by the way, we have some good news, we've built on an extra 50 beds in Drogheda, so therefore 90% of the patients that were dealt with in uh, N- Navin will still go to Navin, uh, but the other tent will be go- 10% will be going to Drogheda because the beds are there, there wouldn't be an issue, would there?
7: No, no. if they had the bed capacity, but they said that they don't, yes. What they need is another 8 to 10 beds in Drogheda, they need the two ICU beds there as well. And that includes staff. So they have to be there before any of this happens. But I mean, I, I think the ICU, I mean, I think the, the argument is crystal clear. I mean, I, I fully agree with what Gerry McIntyre is saying, providing that there is ICU capacity and draw order to take those people. Um, I mean, nobody wears the county jersey going to an ICU bed. You're battling for survival and you want the best possible outcome. And that's sure. what our health service has to be about. And I think, you know, n- nobody more than Gerry McIntyre is battling for the county jersey. Uh, in this whole debate, and he said this. Yes, well, no, I accept. Then we, I cannot have a situation where there's extra cues in Drahada above and beyond what we have at the moment uh, because of changes that are made to Navana. that's that's the thing that we just have to make sure. Yes, and and, worked out. and
3: and Jerry was making the point that Drahada is a centre of excellence, and better to go to where the best expertise is than going to a hospital but, where there isn't as much expertise. But the point I'm saying to you is that the way this has been handled is a bit of a PR fiasco, isn't that the case?
7: I, I don't agree with that at all. Um, well, this, anytime you're changing services in a hospital, it's always difficult because the only things we ever hear, particularly from the opposition, are the negative, it's the bad side of it. You never hear about the, the new operating theatre in Navan. You never hear about it being a rheumatology centre of excellence. You never hear about the orthopedics, except when there's bad news. But it is an orthopedic centre of excellence. Jerry McEntee alluded to something there as well, that actually this would bring other people into Navan who otherwise might be in Drogheda. Uh, and people who've gone for their critical surgery in Drahada will come back uh, to rehabilitation in the in the refurbished uh, rehabilitation centre there as well. Um, and that's going to be really, really important. So you're going to have more people in Davon Hospital. By the way, there's a new lab there doing... Millions yeah, of yeah, tests. sure per year. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure, but this is all massive investment that's gone into it that is yeah. going to improve so, outcomes for people but, but, all across the North East.
3: Yeah, before I move on to the Northern Ireland Protocol, in principle then, you agree with the proposed changes at Navin. Is that the case?
7: Well, what do we agree with? We, we, we agree that the 10% of the most serious cases would no longer go to Navan. We agree that 90% of people who currently go to the emergency department that's only 90% of that cohort. The rest of the office would be going to Navan. 90% would still go to what would be the MAU or the local injuries unit. But nobody could agree to this unless the capacity is there at other hospitals. And quite frankly, people want the best possible outcome. And the truth is, and, and this is never said as well, like we are, we're not like what's common that people compare us to in other parts of, of Ireland. We have a range of hospitals in Mead, Louth. Dublin, some of my constituents are closer to Cavan Hospital and indeed some people than me are closer to Mullingar Hospital. There's a range okay. of hospitals there and we've got to make sure that the best possible services are provided as close to the people as possible and if 10% of the most serious cases go to a bigger hospital, I can tell you the, the people who won't be arguing with that are the people who are brought to the bigger hospital. All right, so they, okay, the, And their families because they know there'll be a better outcome. But at the moment we cannot say that there will be uh, enough capacity there and the HSE certainly have to come back to us Uh, to confirm that because we couldn't stand over that. Okay,
3: Okay. I just want to move on to the Northern Ireland Protocol because that's the main reason we invited you on and you are the Minister for European Affairs so you're pretty tuned in uh, as to what the British are up to. Uh, The fact that the British have introduced this new legislation or published this new legislation uh, means they've gone off on a solo run, they haven't consulted with Brussels, they haven't consulted with Dublin. What does this say about the British arrogance in dealing with this?
7: Well, I mean that's certainly one way of putting it. Um, I mean but basically they're breaking the law because they've signed an international treaty that ensures there's no hard border on the island of Ireland, gives Northern Ireland the opportunities for, you know, access to the single market for goods of the EU. They've gone their own way about this. It's very wrong, it's illegal. Okay. Will well, be what will consequences for Britain. But yeah,
3: well, what can be done? I mean, if um, if they're not going to recognise the European Court of Justice, uh, how do you put manners on the British uh, to sort of, if you pardon the phrase, whip them into line?
7: Well, look, there's, there's, there's lots of ways to swing a cat and the European Commission will be announcing what it plans to do later this week. And there will be legal action and, and that legal action can be taken against states. There are certainly things that can be done with tariffs. That's not, it's not a space we want to be in in terms of issuing threats to Britain, because I don't think we should add chaos to the chaos that they're causing. Um, But they need to be in no doubt that there will be consequences and they must know them. Um, And ultimately, actually, I don't see this law uh, being passed because people are going into parliament to be asked to vote to break the law. I mean, that's a significant thing to do. It's a risk to do. Uh, It's a risk to the reputation of their country. What we've got to do here is talk. It always works in Northern Ireland. Uh, Come to the negotiating table. You know, don't lose the opportunities that the protocol has given Northern Ireland. We see jobs announcements even today. I think Almac, the pharmaceutical company in Lurgan and Portadown, is announcing jobs. Rightbus, the bus company in Balamina, are showing off some of their buses outside the Dail today. And um, all of those companies are helped by the Northern Ireland protocol because it gives them access to the European market. Helps our economy here as well because of the All Ireland nature of 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 what we're doing, and has no impact on whether Unionists are British or whatever. That's a matter for themselves, a matter for the people. Okay, but just
3: let me put this question to you. Assuming uh, the legislation does not get through the House of Commons and does not get through the House of Lords, we're back stuck with the Northern Ireland Protocol, and that means that all goods entering NI from GB will be checked at Belfast and Larne, but that's not good enough for the DUP. So then aren't we stuck with the situation whereby the executive at Stormont won't come back into business because the Northern Ireland protocol hasn't been addressed.
7: Well, that's what the EU is trying to do, is reduce the number of cheques. So the cheques are certainly there. They're there to make sure that we can protect the single market for goods. Um, but the EU is working to reduce the number of cheques. So that's, that's been happening. But the British haven't really come to the negotiating table to talk about this. And we should never forget that the protocol is the idea of the British government um, and was agreed to by them. They entered into an agreement to, to put it in place and it's necessary for Northern Ireland. And what we want do want to reduce a huge amounts of the checks. I think that's that's important. And the reason we do is because the European Commission went and listened to business and communities in Northern Ireland. and Asked what are your problems, and we came back with solutions. Of course, they were never good enough for the British, and that's always been a problem in this whole debate. That when you make one step forward, the British bring you uh, two steps back. So it does require a negotiating partner that's sure. going to act in good faith, and we haven't had that over the last okay. year or so with the British government.
3: Right Thomas, you're the minister for European affairs, you're tick-tacking with the various European foreign ministers in the various capitals around Europe. You're over and back to Brussels. I mean, between ourselves, what do the European Commission personnel in Brussels think of the behavior of the British?
7: I think is uh, and this, uh, this is, I was in America last week on, on Brexit business as well. I mean, this this is the reaction is all all around the place of astonishment. Uh, that Britain, as a Western sort of democracy, would sign an international treaty and then say, oh, hang on, we don't want to comply with this. Um, And people are questioning their good faith, questioning whether you can depend or rely on them. And I say it's just amazement uh, that this could happen. And I think it is a distraction for what should be a unified Europe, whether in the EU or out of the EU, uh, on the issue of Ukraine. Um, And I think most people find that deeply frustrating, Um, So it is certainly doing reputational harm to Britain. There is no question about that.
3: Okay, uh, the DUP are constantly whinging about the Northern Ireland protocol. I spend a lot of time up the north with Euronews and from talking to business people, they're sort of scratching their heads wondering what all the fuss is about because trade between the north and the south is up 60%. Trade between the south and the north is up 48%. The Northern Ireland economy is performing... I think, the best of all the regions in the UK, and it's win-win for everybody. Um, do you get the sense that the DUP are using the Northern Ireland Protocol as the excuse not to sit down with Sinn Féin now that Sinn Féin are, to use a phrase, the top dogs in the in the Stormont Assembly?
7: Well, look, that's certainly possible, but I suppose we have to listen to what the DUP themselves have said, and they said that they will go into government at some point, so that's not clear. Uh, so you do make a point but I think the DUP G- the cannot really forever ignore the economic benefits of the protocol. They certainly can't ignore that it's, it's not just benefiting agriculture in Northern Ireland. It's absolutely essential to agriculture in Northern Ireland. So they can pretend that that's not happening and that's not a problem for them. But at some point, uh, they'll have to grasp the nettle on that um, and work with all of us to ensure that this is done as smoothly as possible. Because it doesn't make them any more British uh, to be doing what they're doing. But certainly implementation of the protocol in a reasonable way doesn't affect their Britishness in any way. The European Union is not involved in that debate, um, and that's for that's for the people themselves in Northern Ireland.
3: Okay, you were in Washington last week. I believe that the Oireachtas Committee on the Peace Agreement is in Washington today, uh, having a chat with the Americans. Do the US understand the Irish dilemma in all this?
7: Well, I think it's, look, say if you, there are British, let's go to the British people in Washington. I would say this for them. It's very difficult if you're a British person going over there and your starting point is that people say we're breaking the law but we're not actually. You're you're already on the defensive. They're on the defensive. We're going over there. We're making a very, very simple point that there's an international treaty here and Britain has said they're not complying with it. That's a much easier case to make and it's a much more understandable case. I think to be fair to the Americans that I met, whether it's politicians, whether it's uh, the legal community, whether it's the diaspora community, um, they have a sense of pride and ownership in relation to the peace process uh, over the last um, 30 years because America was involved at various different levels, whether it's government or whether it's just actually individual business people or, or you know, lawyers, as I met last week, who gave significant help uh, to the likes of John Hume in the 80s and the 90s. They all feel they have a sense of ownership and they're very, very disappointed. That's all feeding into the political system in America. Uh, and we see last night that Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, announced that he had made a call to lose trust on the issue of Ukraine, but that he also asked them to continue negotiating uh, with the European Union. And that's certainly a message that we would support. So we do see strong engagement and interest and understanding at a very high level in America. And I would say as well, support for the position that we take because it's a much easier position to take.
3: Uh, the northern ireland protocol if i recall right was the alternative to the theresa may backstop and as i say goods are entering ni from gb and then they're on the island of ireland and they can circulate accordingly is there any better proposal uh, you know that can be implemented that satisfies all sides
7: well, it satisfies all sides. It was the protocol, because there was lots of other proposals. I mean, the easiest one of all would be if, if Britain had stayed in the customs union of the single market, and there'd be no issue whatsoever at Laird or Belfast. And the British economy wouldn't be doing as badly as it's doing at the moment. Um, but they decided to have the hardest possible Brexit, and they brought that on themselves. And they wonder now why there are trade barriers with the continent, why they have to go through customs checks to France or, or even into Dublin. But that's because they built up that wall that the single market had taken down in the 80s and 90s so this is the only solution really at the moment um, and within that solution though there's definitely a way of talking about it a way of negotiating around how it's actually implemented on the ground But again, that requires the British to come to the table to actually work towards a solution, which quite likely they haven't done.
3: I saw Brandon Lewis on the BBC on Sunday uh, blaming the EU. It's all the EU Commission's fault. But is it safe to say, in fact, that the one that's being belligerent here are the British?
7: Well, I don't see how it's the EU Commission's fault. I mean, look, there's an agreement. The EU Commission have upheld their side of it. The British haven't. And the EU actually have gone above and beyond um, to try to resolve difficulties that unionists and some business people in Northern Ireland have expressed. So I, I, I can't how any neutral observer could say that the EU Commission is at fault here at all. The British okay. need to have this line, but it's not the case.
3: Uh, finally, Thomas, very briefly, I mean, where do we go from here, or is it wait and see time?
7: Well, look, we wait and see what the, what the European Commission does on, on Wednesday. We see whether this law, in fact, actually gets passed, because don't forget, like, They've only just published the bill. It hasn't even been read in the House of Commons properly. So let's see. And it has to go through the House of Lords, where apparently they're not inclined to to pass it. The House of Commons will be tighter. Um, so let's see. It's it, it's not actually in law. The checks are still happening. The single market upon which our economy depends massively uh, is still protected. And those checks in Ireland and Belfast, it's not just about Northern Ireland, but they also protect our economy here as well, um, because they absolutely guarantee our place in the single market of the European Union. And that's critical for so many businesses and jobs right around this region and all around this country.
3: All right, we leave it there. That's uh, Thomas Byrne there, the Minister for European Affairs, and Fianna faulty for from the East. More to come. We'll take a break.
5: Michael Reed on LMFM.
3: Okay, lots of comments to get through about uh, what's happening at Navin Hospital. I'll just go through some of the many comments we've got in this morning. Katrina was in touch saying it's absolutely disgusting what's happening at Navin Hospital they've taken away chunks of services from Navin Hospital for years with the ultimate plan of closing it they've taken everything from Navin Hospital Group and are moving it to Drogheda Mary was in touch says the local politicians can say whatever they like on the future of the hospital but the simple truth is that Navin Hospital is going to go the same way as the Loud County Hospital did the services will be removed and the hospital will be downgraded and she says the dogs on the Street know it. Martin was in touch. He says the plans to close down services in Navin cannot be allowed to go ahead. The hospital is vital to the people of Meath and provides them with essential health services. If it's downgraded, then that just piles even more pressure on the already overstretched services at the Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda and Barry was in touch to say that Damien English can try and dress this up any way he likes, but the plans outlined yesterday are most definitely a downgrade of service. Well, Jerry McEntee says different, it's not a downgrading of services it's just a changing of the uh, location of the services in the region. Now, Jed Nash of the Labour Party is coming on to talk about amendments to the Electoral Reform Bill, but Jed, can I begin by asking you um, this plan to move something? Something like 10% of the uh, emergency patients from Navin to Drogheda is this being handled properly considering that there doesn't appear to be any plans to increase the number of beds in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda?
8: Well this is a problem um, Ken and thanks for um, providing me with the opportunity to respond uh, with reading with deep concern this morning and hearing reports from late last night uh, about the plans by the HSE to uh, close uh, the emergency department in Navan. Now, um, I think the messaging is a little confusing here. Uh, I did hear Minister English and others earlier on, representatives of government parties, who were claiming that a final decision hasn't been made. I do think, sadly, though, this is inevitable uh, and um, all this to be resolved now, uh, it seems to me, is the timing. And that is a major blow. It's a major blow for the people of Navan and the people of Meath more generally. And this will have serious resource implications for Lady Lawrence Hospital. You pointed out correctly earlier on, Ken, that uh, there are at present about seven people uh, in the emergency department of Lady Lawrence Hospital who are waiting for a bed. This is June. Um, Imagine what that is going to be like from October to uh, next. March or April during the difficult autumn and, and winter months. And we know the pressure that doctors, nurses, and other healthcare staff in the Lady Lord's Hospital are under. So additional resources will be required. And there's no clarity of what those additional resources will be to accommodate that additional pressure that is inevitably going to arise when the emergency department in Navan sadly is going to close as a result of the HSE and government decision. So I have made contact with the Minister of Health, with the uh, HSE and with management of the RCSI hospital group uh, in Drogheda and uh, across the group to establish what resources will be made available. My colleague, Councillor Lane McGuinty and I, we've made contact uh, uh, and and we hope to have contact back from, from, from the Minister and others soon because it is really important that the additional resources that are required for Drogheda additional resources that are required anyway regardless of the um, resource implications arising from the closure of, of Navin there are resources needed anyway to meet the existing demand of what's one of the fastest growing areas in the country. So on top of this now we have the additional pressures that will arise and we do need the additional beds, we do need the additional resources, we do need the emergency department to be extended.
3: Okay Jed, but let's accept then that Our Lady of Lords Hospital in Drogheda does need extra beds to supposedly deal with the increased capacity that's about to visit the hospital as a result of changes <coughs> in Navin. But Jerry McIntyre was making the point that this morning that uh, what we have here, and this has been happening around the country, that where, for example we had Our Lady of Lords Hospital, we had the Loud County Hospital in Dundalk, we had Monaghan Hospital and Navan. that really what the state is doing is it's creating regional centres of excellence and that if somebody in your family was ill better to go to a place where all the experts are, all the machinery are and the best facilities are rather than going to a hospital where they don't have the best and that therefore in the longer term this proposal is good for everybody. Do you accept that? Uh,
8: Well, the first thing I'd say is that a lady nurse hospital is very much a centre of excellence. I mean, we have our uh, category three and category four hospitals and there was a reason why uh, that delineation was made uh, quite a number of years ago and we do require those centres of excellence. Where the outcomes are, um, uh, all the evidence shows that the outcomes are, are very, very positive indeed and there was a relatively small number of people who are for example using the uh, icu unit uh, in uh, our lady's hospital in Navan, and medical decisions would have been taken over the years to ensure that um your survival rates were were optimized uh, and that um those who uh, were at risk were directed towards those centers of excellence and i absolutely understand that argument but that's not getting away from the uh very deep association so the people of Meath and the people of Navan especially have for uh, what has been a, a, an excellent hospital. I mean, we've all had family members, um, loved ones, relations and so on who've been treated expertly uh, in Our Lady's Hospital in Navan. Uh, and we would hope that uh, the hospital would continue to provide an excellent service for the people of Meath and the North East uh, or generally to continue to do that. And I hope that they can continue to specialise, for example, in certain areas where they have Specialized in over the years, especially orthopedics and so on. And I've had contact from expert medical staff uh, in the orthopaedic side of the hospital in Navon who uh, are demanding that government invest more heavily in trying to resolve some of the issues there and dealing with the number of patients that they need to deal with. And we as local TVs are always dealing with uh, the demands placed on Our Lady's Hospital in Navon. And there has been under investment and there needs to be additional investment to make sure that the hospital can be the best hospital it possibly can be. You know, Our Lady Lord's Hospital, that was established, you know, nearly twenty years ago now that the our Lady Lord's Hospital was going to be the trauma unit for um for uh, the North East. you'll remember well as well, about fifteen years ago, um politicians in in, in Meads especially were demanding that the centre for excellence centre of excellence for the region should be based in Navan. And and they were you know political sort of challenges that were in place at the time and political campaigns that were in place at the time. Our Lady of Lord's Hospital was always the de facto uh, regional centre of excellence for okay. the northeast. It's built up the expertise over the years and now, uh, you know, th- what we need is additional resources to make sure that it's not just the, the de facto centre of excellence, but it attracts the kinds of resources that a centre of excellence would be. Alright.
3: Okay, Jed, I want to move on because... Um you came on to talk about the electoral reform bill, and you're having a go at fee and a fall because they put in what appears to have been a last-minute amendment, uh, which allows them to raise funds. Now, one of the, I think one of the sections in the bill means that all political parties, this includes the Labour Party, uh, will be allowed to get a licence from the district court uh, for lotteries with cash prizes of up to €360,000 and ultimately this allows the political parties to raise funds, to run campaigns and pay bills and so on. What is wrong with that?
8: Okay, well, well, a couple of things here. We we know that the poisonous and toxic influence that big money has had in politics over the years in this country and the corrupting influence (coughs) that it has had. Um, And it was one of the reasons why uh, we as a reforming party uh, that there was a cap placed on corporate donations for politicians and political parties back in 2015. Uh, Any corporation, any big business or any individual can only... And donate a maximum of €2,000 to a political party in any given year. Now, we've had a last minute uh, amendment to the electoral reform bill introduced on Thursday. We are blindsided on this. Those of us who are interested in this whole area had no clue that this was coming. The electoral reform bill has been demands for an independent standalone electoral commission to run elections in this country for many, many years. That's a good thing and that's one of the key measures in this bill. Nobody was expecting that uh, Fianna Fáil would pull this kind of stunt where uh, it will know uh, if this uh, amendment is passed on, on Wednesday and has to go through the Shannon then before the summer recess in the middle of July. <clears throat> Nobody really anticipated this and what's got to happen here is that political parties will be able to make application like uh, sports clubs and like, you know, big na- national charities to run uh, lottery type fundraising operations uh, all year round. Now, my concern here is that this will mean that we could possibly see the return of big money through the back door. What do I mean by that? There's no limit whatsoever placed uh, on the amount of money uh, that can be raised in these kinds of lotteries. There's a price cap of €360,000, that's a lot of money, and only really the big parties, um, the, the, those who are currently currently enjoy the status of big parties, would be in a position to raise uh, money like that with the big networks that they have. And we know that you know, from past experience, Fine Gael, for example in their old super draws would raise about a million euros a year, and Finfall could raise potentially about half a million. And we know why this is coming, this amendment, because Cina attempted to describe themselves as a charity under the 2019 Gambling and Lotteries Act recently to get one of these licences uh, and uh, they didn't succeed in doing so in fact uh, somebody was prepared to take a court challenge to uh, essentially judicially review any decision that might be um, okay. made by the district court so what they're trying to do here is change the law to allow them to be to have access to these kinds of lottery licenses to raise a lot of money and i'm really concerned that this will mean potentially the return of uh, you know big money uh, into politics okay and, but, and but that's really damaging okay uh, uh, are you saying so since two thousand fifteen Playing pitch has been level for well, parties. That's only right.
3: Well, you, you you took the words out of my mouth there. I was going to say, has this created um, an uneven playing pitch where the big parties can get access to the funds by virtue of the fact that they have the numbers, and the smaller parties won't get the same revenue? Um, but doesn't this then say questions about the conduct and uh, the moral thinking of the Green Party?
8: Well, I'd be really concerned that the uh, Green Party nodded this through Cabinet. We're told that a decision was taken on 24th of May uh, that uh, this amendment was going to be introduced and the first we heard of it was uh, uh, from the uh, Bill's office in Leinster House last, last Thursday. So there was no real sign of this and no real sense that this was coming. And uh, the Green Party would uh, you know, usually um, describe themselves as, as a reforming party. Uh, I'm surprised that they've allowed this to go through uh, on the nod. Um, you know, this is, this is, as I described it in the media over the weekend, an 11th hour last minute amendment. If we had cited this over the last few weeks, we could have probably debated this in the Dáil. We haven't had that opportunity. We're only going to have a short period of time on Wednesday to debate this. And this has I think very serious implications for political reform in this country. We're going back, unfortunately, to the bad old days. And really what this strikes me as is a kind of um, a, a decision informed by, for example, uh, Sinn Féin accepting the 3 million euros from William Hampton, uh, Man who passed away a number of years ago left them um, cash and assets worth up to 3 million euro in his will now Sinn Féin decided to accept that money in the north because UK electoral law and donations law essentially has no limits. Uh, that's the kind of donation that you wouldn't be able to accept in the Republic of Ireland thanks to the law that we introduced back in 2015 so there isn't an equality of arms here and what's happening is been a fall and finagling, stopping a kind of financial arms race. Uh, and rather than saying, "Look, we should have the same limits," sure. Well, Jed, just, all just political just, parties yeah. in this island, whether they are organised now or not, they're saying, let's, "Look, let's 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 relax these laws, raise as much money as we can, and have a financial fight to the death with um, a party that we okay, know but, is very very wealthy."
3: Okay. Well, just last question, Jed. Apart from making a lot of noise about it, is there anything legally the Labour Party can do?
8: Yeah, well, we've we want we, we've asked the Minister to, in the first instance, withdraw this amendment uh, to allow us to have a more detailed debate in the Dáil. Uh, we will do as uh, we're obliged to do as an opposition party who is concerned over an amendment, and that's you know, we, we want to march our troops to try to defeat this amendment and, 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 and argue against it in the Dáil today uh, and on Wednesday. That's what the Dáil is for. Uh, the, the government has the numbers uh, with Fáil, Fine Gael and Green Party and indeed independent uh, supporters to uh, to railroad this through. And I think if they do, it will be a bad day for transparency and a bad day for political reform in this country. We're going back potentially to the bad old days where big money ruled the roost.
3: Okay, we're going to have to leave it there. And I should point out, Jed, that we did ask somebody from Fianna Fault to come on and debate with you. But uh, as they say, nobody was available. Right, we'll take a break.
5: Michael Michael Reed on on
3: LMFM. Okay, just getting back to some of your comments. Mary from Trim was in touch to say Mr McEntee never answered the questions about having to have GP referral. Also, what will happen to people who need the services at night time? The population of the county has increased dramatically in recent years and the needs of patients have changed. A listener was in touch on WhatsApp to say the government is winging it at every turn. Zero clarity in any department specifically to today's topic yesterday I had to go to Drogheda for hematological reasons I traveled from Oldcastle I left the house at seven forty a.m. and arrived home at 1700 hours that's 5 p.m. I had to get six buses for a round-trip journey of 130 kilometers an absolute joke and finally Pat was in touch not sure where Pat is from he says this is all pure waffle and political nonsense. The hospital in Navan is downgraded, and there will be more pressure on Drogheda as a result. Back to the Northern Ireland Protocol and the plans by the British to basically abolish it and create free movement of goods between GB and NI. Colin Markey represents the Midlands and Northwest constituency at the European Parliament in Brussels and Strasbourg and joins me on the line right now. Can I ask you, Colin, what's the feeling? in Brussels about the behaviour of the British?
1: Well I think everyone's concerned as they always are when these things happen. I think look uh, there's the sense of the unilateral nature of how the the British have operated has annoyed people the whole way along and I think and the fact that there's not a, a meaningful engagement if you like I suppose if you look at the proposals to put on the table, there'll be a lot of concerns directly in relation to them, like uh, even the, the operation of the green and the red lanes that they're proposing, like how do you propose the surveillance in relation to them? How is that going to be done? They, the issue of products of mixed origin hasn't been dealt with at all, and that that's a key issue, has been consistently a key, key issue that we've been raising the, the whole way along. And I think here in Brussels, I suppose, You'd always have a concern that with so many other issues going on that there might be a bit of fatigue, if you like. But I think, you know, talking to people this morning and you see the responses that have come out from different countries and different nationalities, definitely people are, are as concerned as they ever were. And I think definitely uh, there's a sense that the UK continue to act unilaterally, and if they do that... Uh, th- 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 you can't you can't operate with that and and more importantly i suppose the detail of some of the issues is totally missed and okay totally,
3: uh, yeah i was going to say you're you're, you're 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 yeah go ahead I, well i was going to say you're you're a farmer by profession um if these changes uh, go about um what for example are the implications for the milk industry
1: Well, it's very significant for the dairy industry. There's 800 million litres of milk from the north that's processed in the south every year. And also 100 million litres are sold in the south as liquid milk, like in your cartons or your bottles. So all that milk is, if you like, collected in the north and mixed with milk in the south and processed in the south. So the idea of that's milk of mixed origin and its status in any of these situations has yet to be clarified. And we've raised this question time and time again, and as it stands, I saw one commentator saying there'll be a milk border, essentially. Uh, you talk about a, a land border, will there be a milk border if this product of Mr. Origin isn't sorted out? And equally, the same applies in, in which to be a big interest locally is in the whiskey industry. Uh, I saw where John Teeling was out this morning commenting on it as well, where a lot of the milk, let's, or a lot of the sorry whiskey that's processed, uh, that's produced in Dundalk and the like, is mixed in a blended whisky with, with whisky from the north. And also a lot of the whisky is, is bottled. Uh, let's say different stages of the processing of the, of the whisky. Uh, it crosses the border multiple times. So the idea of, uh, let's say, in the whisky industry and in the dairy sector, this product of mixed origin is, is particularly concerning.
3: Uh, what feedback, though, are you getting from fellow MP MEPs rather about the fact that the, the British lied to the DUP when Boris Johnson told them there would be no um, notional border in the Irish Sea and now that they've gone off on a, a, a separate run without consulting with Brussels and Dublin? Wh- wh- what's the feeling towards uh, Britain over the way they're handling this?
1: I think the the two, two underlying sentiments is the fact that they've gone off and done their own thing without a consultation and looking for... Like, if you look at it from an EU perspective, the EU brought forward proposals last year, or earlier this year, should I say, that reduced the checks by 80%. Actually, last year, sorry. They reduced the checks by 80%, which was very significant. And then they look at the Northern Ireland economy, and they say a situation where the Northern Ireland economy is outperforming the UK economy and the Northern Ireland economy is second only to London in terms of regions within the UK. So everyone over here saying, clearly this is working at an economic level. It's at a political level the issue is. And like that, that frustrates people, Like they put in, in place a proposal that actually uh, solves an awful lot of the problems. And yes, and, and the economy thrives as a result and yet people are, are trying to unpick it and uh, undo something that's actually working and putting in place and proposing to put in place unilaterally a scenario that won't work as well and doesn't take account of some of the key issues that that have to be addressed.
3: Uh, Thomas Byrne was on earlier on and I got the impression from what he said that there are some sort of punishable uh, or punitive measures coming down the line from the EU Commission either in the form of tariffs. Are you hearing anything?
1: Well, um, Mariusz Seskiewicz is to meet MEPs today and there's a full response due out tomorrow. So I'd say we'll get a certain amount of clarity on that tomorrow. Uh, look, I think the sense at European level is we can't go on indefinitely without some some action being taken. I suppose from an Irish perspective, that that would be concerning because whatever action is taken, if there's punitive measures taken, it's not going to be good for the Irish economy. And I think that, And I suppose the other side of all of this is the, the continued situation is causing ever more uncertainty. And all of that, all that makes is a great concern. But as regards actions at this end, I'd say we'll have more clarity on that tomorrow. But I can't see a, well, I don't know that anything will happen directly straight away. But at the same time, like patience, patience is wearing thin, And before people have have urged caution and, if you like, stayed away from taking significant action but I think there will be some level of ratcheting up the, the temperature but to what degree it just remains to be seen.
3: OK, we'll keep an eye and an ear out for that tomorrow to see what the response from the European Commission is. That's uh, Colin Markey, MEP, for the Midlands and uh, Northwest constituency joining us on the programme there. OK, more to come. We'll take a break.
5: Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. on
3: LMFM. Before we go to the Loud Me, the Crime Desk, this statement is just in from the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, and it says... No decision regarding the HSE's proposal for the transition of the emergency department at Our Lady's Hospital, Navin, has been agreed by this government. The HSE has clinical concerns about the safety of the emergency department at Navin. I asked the HSE to outline those concerns and consult with elected representatives on behalf of the local community. That meeting took place yesterday. Stephen Donnelly goes on to say, quote, I have heard clearly the concerns of clinicians in Navin as to the ongoing safety concerns of operating a small emergency department I have also heard the concerns of clinicians at other hospitals that would be impacted at a time when all health services are under such pressure. And the statement concludes, several important issues, including additional capacity in other hospitals impacted, as well as the continued ability of people in the Navin area to access emergency and urgent care, would need to be fully addressed before any proposed transition by the HSE takes place. So that suggests this is not a done deal by any means, as was stated this morning uh, by Damien English, and it looks like this controversy is going to rumble on for some time before a compromise is reached. Okay, we'll have more on that uh, tomorrow and indeed on LMFM News throughout the day. I want to go to the Loudmead Crime Desk and joining us this morning is Garda Sharon White of RD Station and indeed we start uh, with our first crime in RD. Sharon, talk to us about criminal damage and theft
9: in the town. Good morning, Ken. Yes, uh, we're going to talk firstly about this criminal damage and the theft incident which occurred Uh, between midnight and 1am on Friday the 3rd of June and going into Saturday morning. The damage, it occurred in Seán O'Carroll Street in RD and at two separate locations. It's believed that a small grey car was parked along the road and it may have been used by culprits to get away from the area, having caused damage to two vehicles in the area. If you were on Sean O'Carroll Street in RD on the night of Friday the 3rd of June into Saturday morning and you noticed anyone acting suspicious or you noticed a car parked up on this street, the Guardian RD would really like to hear from you.
3: Now, the Blessing of the Graves takes place at Balapusta in RD this Sunday. You have some advice for people travelling to it?
9: That's right. As in previous pre-Covid years, it's expected that there will be a huge gathering at Balapusta Cemetery this Sunday, the 19th of June. There'll be a lot of traffic turning uh, off the N2 at Balapusta in advance of the blessing of the graves, which is at 11am. And again, following the ceremony, there will be a volume travelling to and from Ardee. So, anybody uh, travelling in the area, they're advised to give themselves plenty of time. Gardy will be performing traffic duty in the area, and as there is expected to be a large volume of traffic.
3: OK, we're going to move to Drogheda, and I think you're investigating uh, criminal damage at McBride Station.
9: That's right, McBride Railway Station in Drogheda. Uh, we've had a report of criminal damage to a train there, which was subject to graffiti. And just in these times of high fuel costs, more and more of us are having to use public transport. So we hope that together we can ensure that the damage is not acceptable. The incident was reported uh, on the 7th of June to Drogheda Drogheda Railway Station, and the guards in Drogheda are investigating. So we would urge anybody, if you see anybody uh, vandalising public transport, please report it so that we can make sure that it's acceptable for everybody to to travel on.
3: Now, I believe you've got... um uh, an advisory in relation to firearms.
9: That's right. Currently, Gardaí are renewing a large number of firearms licences. And so here in RD, we're asking that anybody with renewal notices, that they submit them complete, their completed forms to RD Guard Station as soon as possible. And this will greatly assist us in processing of all the outstanding renewals.
3: You're also investigating two burglaries in Kells.
9: That's right. The first burglary occurred at about 7pm on Tuesday the 7th of June at Carrick Street in Kells, where a lady disturbed an intruder in her house. The man left, the front, left by the front door, but it was later discovered that a small number of items had been taken. The second burglary then occurred the following day, Wednesday the 8th of June, at Allen's Town in Kells, and it was between 10am and 11am. The house, which was vacant for only a very short time, was ransacked and the door was forcibly opened. If you remember seeing anything suspicious in the Carrick Street area of Kells on Tuesday the 7th or in Allenstown Kells on the 8th, please contact Kells Gardy.
3: Now, also, um, I think you're investigating an incident at Patrick Street in Drogheda.
9: That's right. Saturday the 11th of June in Patrick Street, Drogheda. A man was carrying out some work locally and he reported the theft of money from his vehicle between 12 midnight and half 12. Sorry, mid 12 midday and half past 12. This appears to have been an opportunist crime, which left a worker well out of pocket for his Saturday work. If you know anything about this which may help progress the investigation, please give Droitwich Station a call.
3: And finally, uh, next Sunday, uh, one of the, uh, I suppose, the leading cycling events in Europe will be passing through the Loud Mead area. What advice have you on that?
9: That's right. Yeah, this great uh, sporting event, the Roth Dalton, it'll travel through both Mead and Loud uh, next Sunday, the nineteenth of June. It will be departing from Kinnegad for Trim at approximately 10.30am. It will travel through Trim, Navan, Slane, Cullen, Ardee, Kilfairn, Castle Bellingham and it will finish up in Blackrock and County Louth at approximately 415 So if you're heading out for a drive uh, next Sunday, please bear in mind the associated traffic that may be with the Ross or perhaps stop off and view the event if it's coming your way.
3: And finally, Sharon, before you go, if people uh, spot anything suspicious or witness any criminal damage or criminal activity in the Loudmead area, what should they do?
9: Oh. Absolutely. they can contact their local garden station on any of the local garden station numbers they can contact crime stoppers or if it's an emergency situation they can ring 999 and look for their garden
3: Very good that's uh, God, the Sharon White there of RD garden station with the Meath criminal update for this week before we go Claire was in touch she lives in Drogheda and says every morning her garden is a constant litter zone with people dumping food containers drink cans face masks and glass bottles we need less talking from the local authorities and more action. A listener was in touch on WhatsApp and says... If with a stroke you have to act fast the same in the case of a heart attack so if Navin Hospital is closing well it's not closing but uh, there will be reduced activity in the emergency department, some of its services and diverting patients to drawada how will people be able to implement these procedures, this is a backward step John was in touch via Facebook it will end up like the Loud Hospital the government is putting more pressure on Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda and it is already very stressful there this will be the government's downfall and Tim was in touch from NAV and he says I'm wondering how far Damien English is prepared to go to try and prevent this from from happening Will he resign from Finnegale over it? Well, to be fair, Tim, Damien English did say this is not a done deal. And by coincidence, we just got a statement in the last few minutes, which I already read out to you. And the statement from the Minister for Health says no decision regarding the HSE's proposal for the transition of the emergency department at Our Lady's Hospital in Navan has been agreed by this government. So this is not a done And that just about wraps it up for this morning. I want to thank Maggie McGuire and Marie Kearns who put the program together. Chris Murray was on sound. I'm Ken Murray. I'll talk to you again tomorrow morning. And on behalf of all the team, until the next time, bye for now.
2: The Michael Reid Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie